You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Um, well, welcome again, everybody. And as we continue our in worship this morning, um, and so I want to welcome those who are joining with us online, too. We are, uh, we've been looking over the summer at the book of Isaiah. And so this morning, we come to the end of the book of Isaiah. And I think perhaps that this is one of my favorite chapters. So I want to start by reading uh, the chapter today from Isaiah 53. We'll have it together up on the screen. But it begins in verse 1 of chapter 53 through 7. And I want to invite you to listen to these words and to begin to think who this might be talking about. Verse 1 says, Who can believe what we have heard? And for whose sake has the Lord's arm been revealed? He grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others. A man who suffered, who knew sickness well. Like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. We didn't think about him. It was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore. But we thought him afflicted, struck down by God, and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. Like sheep, we had all wandered away, each going our own way. But the Lord let fall on him all of our crimes. He was oppressed and tormented, but he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb being brought to the slaughter, like a ewe silent before her shears, he didn't open his mouth. And so this passage is long attributed and named as the uh, suffering servant. And so I want to ask you all, who is the suffering servant? Who is this talking about? Jesus. <laughs> that's always a good answer in church. Even if you're not sure, just go with that answer. Yeah, and that's, and that's the idea there is we are able to read back into time and understand that this is talking about Jesus. And that's 100% the right answer. Because we know that Jesus was one who, when he was on the cross, was crushed and afflicted and wounded. And we also know that even before that, in the life of Jesus, he was one who was despised and dismissed as a nobody. Not someone to worry about or pay attention to. But what we see in both Isaiah and what we'll see today is that the suffering servant may have been a nobody in the world's eyes of the time, but was someone significant and important in God's eyes. And that may seem obvious at this point, but what I hope you see as we look at the scripture today is just how broad-reaching and how all-encompassing this idea can become. Because the truth is, is God was significant and Jesus' life was significant to those who had eyes to pay attention and to those who were watching. To a lot of people, it just seemed like another person in the night, another prophet in the night coming and going. And I think one of the challenges that we see is that a lot of people came to Jesus with preconceived notions. Perhaps that's true of us still today, that we come to Jesus with preconceived notions. Verse 4 gives us a great example of that. Verse 4 tells us, but we, we're the collective we here, we thought him afflicted, struck down by God, and tormented. And so in this passage in the Old Testament, we'll come to this in a minute, there, 
They're talking, obviously, before Jesus, but we can bring these two pieces together. And what we see here is a misunderstanding, a misseeing of what God is doing in Jesus. Because we look at Jesus on the cross and look at all that he suffered, and we realize and we think that he was afflicted and struck down by God because of what he was going through. And if we were living in those times, we would have fit in with everyone else. Because the idea was is that if someone suffered, or someone was afflicted, or someone had an illness that couldn't be healed, or a pain that wouldn't go away, that it was because they had done something wrong in their life. And so the belief went that God was punishing them, and that the punishment that they were receiving was these, these outward infirmities or challenges or even disabilities, as we would call them. And so the concept was, was that there must have been something sinful that they did in their life. There must have been something sinful, if not them, that their parents did. And so oftentimes, if someone was afflicted or challenged or, or, or crushed, as we see here, or wounded or despised, they were dismissed, certainly as a sinner. And what society would see on the outside was how they judged the heart. Now, now, we know much better than that today. We know that, that illness and disease, and especially on this side of a pandemic, we know that we oftentimes have very little choice in the things that affect us, right? That there are things that are done to us, and we know that it seems to be those who oftentimes suffer the most, maybe can teach us the most. But I want to remind us that in these times, it was seen as this was God's punishment. And so, the suffering servant of Isaiah... Jesus in the New Testament become these examples that are lifted up to say, certainly they did something wrong to deserve this punishment. And so the result then and now is, is isolation and mockery and deeming someone unimportant or less than. But we see something different in verse 10 where that begins to change. In verse 10, again, speaking of the suffering servant, which would be Jesus, it says, he will enjoy long life. The Lord's plans will come to fruition through him. And so even in Isaiah, even in the Old Testament, we're beginning to see that God is changing the way that we see the world and some of those preconceived notions that we have, even some of those judgments that are made upon others, showing that, you know what, maybe it wasn't that God was punishing them. Maybe it was that something else was happening. And even through this life that everyone else wrote off, God can bring good from it, that God's plans will come to pass, which implies that God does have a plan. And so I want to remind us as we read Isaiah that there's a pattern that happens in Scripture that happens over and over again. When there is humiliation, when the world heaps on humiliation, God takes that into exaltation. Whenever there is shame, God brings honor. Whenever there is weakness, God is able to bring greatness from that. One of the things I've loved the most about Isaiah is it's an Old Testament book that can be hard and challenging to read, and yet we get glimpses and windows of God's redemption, the way that only God can take something that everyone else has given up on and turn it around for good. And so Isaiah reminds us time and time again that God's redemption is possible especially for those of us living in the side of humiliation or shame or weakness, 
that historically throughout Scripture and time, God has always turned those things around in some way. I think this week about a very reluctant Moses who went on to proclaim, let my people go. I think about Gideon. Gideon, who is known to be the very weakest of his clan, becomes a leader in God's way because of God. I think of Jeremiah, who at the time of his call was just an insecure teenager. Insecure teenager. And yet was called to be a prophet to the nations. Scripture is full of these reminders that almost look at us and say, look what God can do. In fact, for those of us or in those situations that the world writes off, look how much more God can do in those situations and in those people. In fact, when we read Scripture, it seems like God's best candidates are the ones that we have labeled least likely. You think back to those senior superlatives that might have appeared in your yearbooks and and who got those and, and what they're doing now and maybe how many of us weren't nominated for one of those. Once again, a reminder that God can do more than we can ever see. God can do more than we can imagine. And so this gives us a reminder that Jesus is the suffering servant that we see in this passage. But I want to remind you that when this was written, there was a hope and an idea of a Savior and a Messiah in the future. But the idea of Jesus at the time of writing for Isaiah was not a reality. And at the time of writing, it's unique that the scholars who look at this passage say, yes, of course, we know that this is Jesus. But at the time of writing, it's actually very ambiguous. And it actually becomes so ambiguous that it could have been a future king for Israel who could have filled this role. It could have been a prophet who would rise up and fill this role. But it also could have been Israel who as a collective together would rise up and fill this role with God's help. And I think what Isaiah wants us to begin to see is that this is Jesus and all of us. That this is Jesus and all who suffer. And so everyone who finds themselves suffering in one way, shape, or form great or small, outwardly or inwardly, spiritually or physically, this is a message for us. The language and the imagery that's used here, uh, we see it in verse 2. I highlight it in a couple of places. Uh, because this is the words and the imagery that, we would use, that they would use then and that we would say today is a person with a disability. And it identifies someone that we know to be Jesus and us, that he was someone of no splendid form, no desirable appearance, despised, avoided, one who suffered, one who knew sickness, someone from whom people hid their faces, someone that people despised. This is Jesus. It's also many, if not all of us, who at some point in our life have maybe been labeled or spoken of in this way, or maybe are now. And I think what Isaiah wants us to do is to recognize that there is a lot of good, but that there are also points in our lives and places too where we have experienced or been labeled in one of these ways. And to name those, begin to bring hope. And that's what becomes surprising to us about the scriptures, 
is that those for whom society deems or sees as less than, it's almost like God says, just watch and see what I can do. Maybe success isn't measured the way we measure success, but look what God can do. In the Bible times, those who were oftentimes labeled as less than were women and children and those who were poor and those who had chronic illness and widows. Basically, everybody besides adult men. If you were an adult man in the Bible times, you're doing pretty well. If you were anyone else, good luck. Hope life treats you well. But that's what we see. But couldn't we also look around once again in our world and say, we still see these same things. As a white male, I can look around and say, you know, things are going pretty well for me. My experiences and everyone's experience. And we can look around our society and begin to see that there are still many who we label in these various ways, intentionally, unintentionally, and systematically. And maybe the irony of this is God says, those right there, those are my chosen people. Society, you enjoy the ones you elevate as, as good. These are my people. Those are the ones that I can do so much more through than anyone ever anticipated. It's like in the book of Isaiah, the powers in the world were Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. And if God came, the people of the world might have said, you know, if God, if, if the God of the universe shows up, God's going to work through Egypt or Assyria or Babylon. Because they've got the power, they've got the military, they've got the leadership, they've got the strength. But not Israel, right? That's that would be like us saying, and Rhode Island shall lead them. No offense to Rhode Islanders, but it's the smallest state, right? That'd be like us saying, and the country of Monaco shall lead the world. I mean, how many of us can't even find Monaco on a map? Like, I'm a geography minor. This was also 20 years ago at this point. But I, I couldn't find Monaco on the map. I had to Google it again. And that's the, that's the amazing thing that God is doing is saying, the least likely, the ones that you have said are the least likely, watch the power of God work in and through them and us. Those who are labeled by the world become something else in God's eyes if we have the eyes to see what God is doing in the world. And this became apparent to me a couple, uh, about a month ago when I watched my next-door neighbor begin to do something with one of his bushes. Uh, and I actually got a picture of this bush um, because it was so ironic to me. Uh, th this is, so that's their driveway. This is my driveway. This is a, a, a relatively healthy bush. Uh, and, and I don't know if you can even tell, th this bush right here, if you were to kind of look for a tumbleweed, this bush is as dry as a tumbleweed. But I noticed something. Every day my neighbor was coming out and watering this bush for like five minutes, spraying water on it. And I remember th this was around Easter, and I just had this thought pop into my head. My neighbor believes in resurrection more than I do. <laughs> and uh, my mom was in town too, and I actually pointed out to her, I was like, Mom, like every day they're coming out and they're watering this bush and watering, that thing is dead. Like there was no life to be had in it. None was actually zoomed in just to make sure. There was no life, to, and actually one day I kind of like looked a little bit closer because I thought, you know what, maybe he sees something I don't, 
And I looked very close, and I could tell there was no life whatsoever in this fish. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to take a picture. Just because I want to see what happens, and I had this kind of thought in my head, I just want to see if anything happens. And wouldn't you know it, about a week or two ago, right over here, I'm not even sure how, three or four leaves popped out. There was no life to be had in this thing. It was dead. And yet, life is coming from it. It's, it's the Jurassic Park quote, like, life finds a way. Right? And I don't know the ecology behind it or how, or how that happens, but I do know that that reminds me of something about God. I looked at that bush and I said, there's nothing there that can come from that. Yet, power of God working in the world is such that even something as obviously dead as that bush, my thought was just go ahead and pull it out and plant something new. And yet, new life springs forth from that. New life is able to come forth in those ways. And it just simply reminded me that we can miss see people in the world. And we can miss assess people in the world. I, I do it. We all do it. Because we have these preconceived notions of others, of what God can do, of what the world can do, of what people are possible of. And so I simply want to ask us this morning, as Isaiah would have, who among us is crushed or afflicted or wounded? Who among us has been despised or dismissed? Who among us can relate to that suffering servant because we have or are suffering in some way, shape, or form, as we saw listed up there. Because this poem that Isaiah writes is about Jesus and all who suffer in the world. And so it offers to us an encouragement with the reminder that God's plans work through all of us, not just some of us, all of us. And maybe God's plans work especially through those that Everyone else thought had nothing really to offer. And so as Melanie mentioned, one of the ways we see this passage begin to transfer over into the New Testament is in the book of Mark. When uh, Jesus says to the crowd, haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's amazing in our eyes. Hundreds of years of difference in time between Isaiah and Jesus, and yet, we still have these preconceived notions. 2,000 years from Jesus to today, and I still have these ways that I see the world. I'm still missing the ways that God is breaking into the world, doing amazing things in and through those that most of us have counted off and written off. It reminds us that this rejected stone would be the cornerstone, that Jesus would be the one that would build the entire world together. That the first mark of that. It reminds us that those who are thrown away as nothing, that God is able to pull out of society's trash and then actually set up on a hill and allow to be light that shines for everyone. That's the good news of the gospel. When everyone wrote off Jesus, God pulled him up out of the trash let them up on a hill to shine. And all of us who feel we've ever been discarded or looked down on in some way, God pulls us up and uses us as a light to others. And so what I hope that this reminds us is to always look at the world and look at others 
not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of Christ. To see the sacred worth that each one of us and each person carries in our hearts. Whether we're a follower of Christ or not, each one of us are made in the image of God. I think becoming a Christian is simply us waking up to this realization that God is with each one of us. Choosing to live our life in that way. I want to share this quote to help us get there from uh, Professor Juliana Classens. She says, Human men and women, vulnerable and frail, and limited individuals are groups who, like the suffering servant, transcend their particularity to become a symbol that inspires others far beyond their own time and place. I love that quote because it reminds me that it's oftentimes those who are rejected by others who inspire us the most. Those are the stories that move us to tears. Those are the stories that when we hear, whether we know the person or not, they inspire us to believe the best of humanity and what God can do. And I think it's because something about their story touches our story. Because we know our own vulnerabilities and our own frailties. We know our own hurt and weakness. We are inspired by the good news of Jesus Christ that God is a God who transcends our expectations and what we can perceive from others to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I asked us this question last week, and I want to bring us back to this question. What kind of church do we see? Both as a collective throughout the world, but also for us as a local church. What kind of church do we see? Are we looking for the ways that God is at work primarily by the way that we measure success or people kind of on a world scale? Or are we looking at this through the lens of God? Are we seeing each other truly? Because each one of us all together are people made in God's image. Each one of you gifted. Each one of you called. Each one of you commissioned in some way to serve in this world whether you feel like you have what it takes to do that or the knowledge or not, God is with each one of us to do that. And if I could be so bold to take what Jesus said about the chief cornerstone and begin to apply it to us, I think that what God wants to do in each one of our lives is to use us as cornerstones in the places where we live and work. Now, I'm not saying any of us are saviors. What I am saying is that God wants to use each one of us as cornerstones in our work, in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods that can begin to order together a type of community, work, and world that more reflects what God can do through those that everyone cast off. So what does it look like for you to be that kind of cornerstone in those places where you frequent during the week? How might you listen to the voices that others are not paying attention to? Or think about those who oftentimes seem overlooked or set aside. Maybe the ones who don't get the promotions or maybe the ones that aren't paid attention to. Because if we've learned anything and if I've learned anything from what I'm calling the resurrection bush in my neighbor's driveway, that God can do some pretty amazing things and is. And it's up to us to pay attention. I want to leave us with verse 10 where once again Isaiah reminds us, no matter what and in spite of all those things that we have in our lives, those challenges, that the Lord's plans will come to fruition through you. 
each one of you through us together. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.